So we're going to start right into the text today. We're in lesson two. I called it Greetings and Thanksgiving. And that's reflective of a typical letter from Paul because it will begin with a section of greeting of who he is and who he's writing to. And then always with a a Pauline letter is, is that he will give thanksgiving, praise whoever it is that, praise God for whoever it is that he's writing to. So we're going to look at that today, and then next week we're going to get, he's going to get right into the problem, okay? So we're going to talk about Corinth today, and it is a troubled church. They live in a very problematic area, and you think it's bad today, it was even worse back then. So let's, let's talk about that. So the first thing we're going to look at, let's look at the greeting. Verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and our brother Thosthenes. To the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place who, all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so let's take a look. First of all, the author. So the author was the Apostle Paul who founded the church in Corinth. So it's Paul, all right? We all know Paul. We should know Paul if you read his letters. Uh, he's not of the original 12. He was called later, if you remember that, on his the road to Damascus. God, Jesus kind of blew him away with a vision of who he was. And uh, from that point on, he was chosen to be a, a, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles. He identifies himself as one who was called to be an apostle by the will of God. Now, I think that's a very accurate statement because when Paul was on his way to Damascus, was he going for a revival tent meeting? What was he going there for? Do you remember? Yeah, to kill Christians, to arrest them and persecute them and so forth. So Jesus appearing out of nowhere, blinding him, and literally it did affect his eyesight, uh, made him blind for a short period of time, and I think would forever affect his eyesight uh, from other letters that we see. God was reaching out to him. Was he looking for Jesus? Was he looking to become a Christian? No, it was literally by the will of God, right? He was chosen. And it was a pretty, uh, would would initially start as a traumatic event, but he would look at it later as an event of grace. So he's kind of pointing out here that he is an apostle, called to be an apostle by the will of God. Now, Paul's letters, he will always point that out because there were people who, especially those from Jerusalem who were wanting to adhere to the Jewish law, they would question whether Paul was an apostle or not. So he's constantly having to reassert his authority, okay? So he starts off, I'm an apostle by the will of God. I didn't choose this. God is the one who did this, okay? So Sosthenes is somebody who's with him. Now, someone would say, oh, well, he's obviously the one writing this for Paul. No, he's a companion, okay? Now, the interesting thing, he was a companion of Paul and was not the co-author of this letter. So who is he? 
Who is he? Well, we think that uh, he may have been the synagogue ruler publicly thrashed by the Gentiles. Okay, now what do you mean? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 18, verse 17, there's a story in Corinth of this guy, Thosthenes, and he was the synagogue ruler who was bringing charges against Paul and the Christians before the Gentile ruler at, of that area, like the magistrate or, or even like the mayor or whatever. And he was not a Christian at that point. And he was bringing charges and wanting them to be abused or to be punished by the local civic authorities. Well, it ends up that the uh, magistrate really didn't have any time for him, and he had the people thrash him. Did, you know what I'm saying? They had had them beat, and it's quite an interesting story. You know what I'm saying? It would be like like if uh, if Rob's got a problem with me, and we end up in a courthouse, and and he's there, he's making an accusation before the judge about me, and he's trying to get me to have some serious consequences, and the judge says, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute now," and he has Rob receive the punishment, and I can just kind of slip out. Do you know what I'm saying? This is the kind of thing, well, obviously at some point, if this is true that it's the same guy, he must have gotten saved. Do you know what I'm saying? He must have come and come to Christ. So that's very interesting right off the top. So he's calling, talking to Corinth. He's mentioning this guy specifically to the letter to the people at Corinth. Why? Because they would know who he is, Okay. They would know who Sosthenes is, okay? So we see that here. And uh, he, where it says, to the church of God, okay, um, the recipients, he refers to them as the church of God. It can also be translated God's church. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's God's church, all right? Now, here's what I want you to see. This description reflects, we're looking at verse 2 now, this description reflects that the church belonged to God, not any man. Okay? The church belongs to God, not any man. So let's, okay, let's talk about our church. Who's our church belong to? Yeah, it belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. Well, you say, well, it's not belonging to any pastor anyhow. No, no, it's not even belonging to the membership. Do you understand what I'm saying? What we recognize is, is that when we talk about a church, who the church belongs to, okay, it belongs to God. Okay, so this is reflective. It's the church of God. It's the church, God's church, okay? Now, the church was located in the Greek city of Corinth, okay? Corinth, which is still there today. If you were to go to Greece, you would still find Corinth. It's still there, okay? And it was a major city in its time. And I'll tell you why. Because it's, it's on an area, if you look at a map, it's on an area where there's like a short piece of land in between the western side of the Mediterranean where it comes up and the eastern side. And what they would do is Instead of going around the whole peninsula to get to the other end, to go on up, they developed a way to move ships across the land. 
And so literally they would take the ships out of the water and roll them on logs, big logs, across the peninsula to get to the other side. And it was the, even though it might cost a little bit more money, it actually was the safest way to get across because the Mediterranean is known for having severe weather and lots of loss of life. In fact, we see that in our news today, right? How often are, and it seems like almost every week you're reading about a migrant boat or, or ship or something in the area of Greece that people are what? getting their lives lost because of storms or whatever. So it was, it was an area, so the shipping would go there. And so because of that, it became a major focal point for commerce. So when you have a major focal point for commerce, what do you have there? You have lots of money flowing through this city. Now, when you have lots of money and lots of sailors in a city, what else do you have? Uh, what? What? Crime. crime. Okay, crime. Or vice. Okay. They wouldn't view the vice. We would say, okay, prostitution is illegal. Well, it wasn't illegal then. Literally, Corinth was filled with thousands of prostitutes. Literally thousands. And how they could be legitimate is they were connected with temples. So they were temple prostitutes. So you would go to worship, and the way you would worship whatever pagan god is you would engage in whatever with a prostitute. Yes. Well, well, to their temple, yes. Yeah, there's money. Yeah, there's always money involved. Yeah, you could say that. You could you could say that. Yes, the. The, the uh, temple was their pimp. Yes, you could say that. Yeah, it, it's very, but that's how m most of those temples worked. They had temple prostitutes, male and female prostitutes. You know what I'm saying? And so that was very much a part of their culture. It was a very corrupt culture, okay? Very corrupt, very, very very much materialistic, very much into sensuality. This is the city. This is where this church is. Okay? So we're not talking Clearfield County, okay? We're talking like Las Vegas on steroids. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is where they're at, okay? This is where they're at. So, uh, in fact, it's interesting, the historians would refer to women of disrepute as, as girls from Corinth. You know what I'm saying? If you wanted to slam a girl, you know, you, instead of saying she's easy or something, you say, oh, she's from Corinth. Yeah, isn't that interesting? She's a Corinthian girl. That, that wasn't a, a compliment, okay? So that, that's what's going on here. So even back then, they had this. This is where the city is at. It's located in the Greek city of Corinth, okay? Now, he's going to describe them in a certain way, which I think is significant, and maybe when we have some discussion here, it'll be good, okay? He's going to describe them, look at what he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who are in every place, who, who, 
those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. All right, so here's what he's going to do. First of all, he says they're sanctified. Sanctified means to be cleansed of sin and separated from the world. So he's saying to this church, you are sanctified. You're cleansed of sin. Now, is that a true statement? Is that a true statement? Are we cleansed of our sin? Yeah, through what? Through the blood of Christ, through forgiveness, right? And we are called to be what? Separate. We're not called to blend in. We're called to live separate lives from everyone else. Now, we want to blend in, but we're not called to that, okay? So they're sanctified. We're set apart for God. They were set apart for Jesus, okay? Set apart for Jesus. You are set apart for Jesus. And here's what they are. They are designated as saints. Now, I find this to be interesting. He starts off a letter where he's getting ready to take them to the woodshed for all of their problems and the stupid stuff that they're doing. But he says, you are sanctified, called to be saints. You are saints. Now, what's, this, what's significant about that? What does that say for you and I? How can, how can we relate that to you and I? Because, by the way, do we act like saints? Okay, great. Thanks, Bruce. You, you at least can speak up, okay? Uh, maybe you're thinking, yeah, I do act like a saint. No, no. Do you act like a saint? Do you sin? Okay, we sin, right? We, we do things we shouldn't do. We are haunted by those things. Last thing we think of is that we're saints, right? Okay, but he's saying, you're saints. Now, right before he's getting ready to, to get down and heavy, and we're going to see that next week with the first big issue, right before that, he's like, you're separated unto God. You're, you're, you're sanctified. You've been made holy. You've been washed of your sin. You're saints. What's significant about that? What's that, Rob? Okay, they're to be different, but why, him saying that, if, if I come up to you and say to you, Rob, you're holy, you're a saint, is that easy to accept? Okay, you hear what Rob, maybe you didn't hear what Rob was real spoken. Rob says you have to try to believe that. Because initially your humanness doesn't want to believe that, right? See, that's your identity. But we don't want to believe that. Why do you think we struggle with wanting to believe that? Okay, what were you going to say, Lori? We know ourselves. Well, it may be a reminder, because he's it's 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 the introduction, so he's addressing the church, and with that he may be reminding him, you know, you aren't just the church of God; you are sanctified, you are saints. Okay, you're you're called to be saints. That's who you're called to be. Okay, so yes, it could very well be a reminder, but it's it's a statement of fact that sometimes we need to be reminded of that, right? Because we it's hard, like Rob said. Yeah, I need to do this, but we struggle. 
right? We struggle with this, okay? Because like Lori said, we do know ourselves. Well, hopefully you know yourself. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So did you hear what Bruce said? Bruce said sometimes we don't know ourselves because that's why we're going to study here in a little bit, starting next week, that they're engaging in this stuff that they shouldn't be doing. Do you know what I'm saying? So sometimes we and so the Holy Spirit has to prod us. Am I am I correct? Am I saying what you're saying correctly, Bruce? There. Okay. So. So the point is, is that they are saints. Now, here's what saints means, okay? Saint means sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, or religiously, ceremonially consecrated. It can also be most holy thing or holy one. That's you, dude. Dudes. Dudettes. That's you. That's hard to accept, isn't it? Okay, so let me bring it down to you in another way that maybe we can grasp. It's hard for us to accept on the human level, right? So let me point out to you that what he's conveying with this truth is, is this is how God sees you. Do you hear me now? On a human level, we would say, oh, there's no way. <laughs> Whoa, no, just think my last week, forget it. You know what I'm saying? So, no, no, this is how he sees you. And let's get back to why he sees you that way. Is it based on you? It's based on Jesus, right? You are sanctified not because of yourself, because you did all the right things and jumped through the right hoops and dotted the right eyes. You know what I'm saying? It's you came to Christ in faith because he did it all for you. He paid the price. He sacrificed. The cleansing that took place is because of his blood that was shed, right? Okay, so Paul's making a powerful point to start out this letter. Okay, he's starting out this letter talking about who they are just in the identity, okay? Just in the identity. Now, he didn't just address it to the Corinthians. I think this is interesting because you say, oh, well, this letter is only for the Corinthians. It has nothing to do with me. Really? Because look at what he says there, verse 2. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, who's that? Yeah, all believers, right? That includes you and I, right? So this letter isn't just for them and their circumstance. This letter is for you and I. So the things he's going to bring out is for you and I. So Paul also addressed the letter to all believers so that they can learn from it. And there is a lot to learn from in this letter, okay? It's a big letter, a lot to learn from. So then what we see in verse 3 is his traditional blessing. So in a lot of Paul's letters, even in some of the other letters, you'll see a traditional greeting of grace and peace, okay? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So 
Here we see that Paul um, pronounces a traditional blessing of grace and peace to his readers. Okay? So then let's get into it. Verse 4 through 9 is his prayer of thanksgiving, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Okay? So let's take a look. Here's what he's, he's praying this prayer of thanksgiving for them. But also remember, he's praying it for you and I. Okay? Here's what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you may be enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revelation, the, as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, so let's take a look at it, all right? So here's what we're going to see. First of all, here's what he's asking, here's what he's praying, and uh, first of all, he starts off with thanksgiving. Uh, Paul was consistent in thanking God for the Corinthian believers. He says, I give thanks to my God always. So he was consistent. It wasn't just a one-time thing. He was continually thanking God for them. Isn't that awesome? Okay? Continually thanking God for them. And so when he thought about them and he prayed about them, he prayed what? He, he was prayerful and, 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 and reality is what? That they would be what? Um, enriched. Through Jesus, they were enriched in every way. Now, what do you think that means? To be enriched. Because basically he's saying that about you and I. You're enriched in every way. What does that mean? More than just blessing. Although you could say it's a blessing. How are you and I enriched in every way? Think about that. I can help you in a minute when we talk about what he's wanting you to be enriched in. Okay? Well, let me give you a verse of Scripture from Peter. Okay? Peter's going to tell you something here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through the Holy Spirit, you've been given everything you need to live life. Now, I see a lot of blank stares. Life. You've been given everything you need, not just to be holy, but to live life with every circumstance you face. Because who's within you? Well, the Holy Spirit's within you. His divine power has given us everything Peter is saying, okay? So he is thanking God. Paul is thanking God here. Look at what he says. I give thanks to my God because the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him. So because of that grace, in every way you were enriched in him. And so here's he's going to give you specific ways that you've been enriched, okay? First of all, 
He has enriched us in the ability to speak the truth. So here's what he says in the verse. In all speech and knowledge. He's given you what you need to speak the truth. Now, here's what happens. You say, I don't know that I believe that, George, because sometimes I'm sitting there, I'm talking with a guy, and we talk about things, and I don't know that I have what I need to give him. Look, look, you don't need to be me or some guy on the TV. Do you understand? Or some author of some book you need to read. You just need to be you knowing that he gave you what you need to know to share with somebody else. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that's, that's reality. He gives you the words to speak. Do you understand? He's, he's enriched you to speak through his spirit. And isn't that what Jesus told us? That the spirit would bring to mind things that we would share in certain circumstances? Yeah. Yeah, but most of us, we shy away. Like, I, I would never talk to somebody because I wouldn't know what to say. Really? Engage in it and you might be surprised what you would say. What comes to mind that you can share? This, this is the reality. So God enriches us in speak, being able to speak the truth. He, he gives us the thoughts. Okay, here's the other one. He has enriched us in understanding the truth. So the Spirit just doesn't give you words to say. The Spirit, like if you're sitting here listening to me or listening to anyone gives you the ability to understand the truth or discern the truth. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Come to a conclusion. When you're reading God's word and it makes sense to you, where did that come from? You're that smart? No. Nobody's that smart. It's that the spirit opened your eyes. Do you understand what I'm saying? I meet people all the time who are not believers who tell me they read the Bible and it makes no sense to them. I read the Bible, I see the, I see the flow of everything throughout the, all the pages. How does that, how does that, what separates me from that dude? Well, you did go study. No, 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 no. I have somebody who helps me to what? Understand, right? Yeah, understand. So he has enriched us in understanding truth. Now, here's what he was. Paul was thankful that the testimony of Christ's salvation was confirmed in them. He was thankful. Now, listen, this is amazing. He's, this is the same group of people that he's getting ready to take to the woodshed who were doing, oh, my goodness, some crazy stuff. But he says, I am thankful that Christ's testimony of salvation is what? Confirmed in your life. Do you understand? That you have Christ. I'm thankful for that. You know what I'm saying? That, what a way to begin with him, okay? What a way to begin with him. So, he was also thankful that they were not lacking in any gift. Now, how do we feel about that? If he, if he was writing to us, he would say, you're not lacking in any gift. Church, you're not lacking in any gift. I might sit there and say, well, you know, wait a minute, Lord, we, we got these issues here. We got this with the building. We got this, you know, I, I could come up with a big list of things that I feel we're lacking in. But no, no, the, God is saying through his servant to the church, to everyone, you're not lacking in any gift. Yeah, spiritual gift or whatever. Yeah, you're not lacking. 
Because grace, we're going to see later in this letter, he refers to giving as a grace, which he has given to people. Do you you understand what I'm saying? So, yeah, they're not lacking. You know what I'm saying? We're not lacking in our needs here. Well, we need more volunteers in this area. I understand. But we're not lacking. You're not... Yes, that's true, Bruce. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I'm being more generalized in, in my statement. And, uh, but the point is, is we're not lacking. You're not lacking in spiritual gifts for your life, for what God wants you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not lacking. This is the point he's making here. All right. Paul was also thankful that they were living with an anticipation of Christ's return. So are you living, don't answer that, are you living with that anticipation? And I'm not just talking about the statement you make after you turn off the news, okay? Oh, I wish he'll come soon, you know what I'm saying? No, no, are you living with an anticipation that today might be the day? Do you know what I'm saying? Today might be the day, Lord, come quickly. In fact, that was the cry of the early church. Okay, so how many of you have heard Maranatha or Maranatha? Have you heard that? There used to be, back in the 70s and 80s, there used to be a record, it was a, a music, Christian musical uh, people who were called Maranatha, okay? Maranatha is the way you would pronounce it, and it means come, Lord Jesus, come. It was a cry of the ancient church for Jesus to come, okay? Because why? That's where their hope was. Their hope was in who? Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? In his coming. Wasn't in Caesar, you know what I'm saying? Or the local dude who got elected or took the position. So here's what he says. Christ will confirm us to the end. Wow, that sounds like eternal security, doesn't it? He'll confirm you to the end. It's often throughout Scripture, there is emphasis upon emphasis here that if you truly know him, if you are his, he'll what? He that who has begun a good work in you will complete it to the end. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's sealed you with the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, who is your what? Guarantee. The guarantee of your inheritance later on isn't you. It's the Spirit who lives within you. So he is thankful that what? That Christ will confirm them or confirm us to the end. The purpose of the confirmation is that we'll be blameless. Wow, isn't that? That's interesting. He's he's going to confirm you to be what? Blameless. Now, all right, so how many of you right now feel totally blameless after this week? Okay, good. Nobody raised their hand because you shouldn't, right? Because you have regrets from the stuff that you've done. That's natural, right? But he's confirming that when you appear before him, you're blameless. Now, how can he do that? By his blood, by his sacrifice, because he's the one who's called us to be saints, who has sanctified us, set us apart. Do you understand? Sanctifying means to be what? Cleansed from sin. Okay? So, to be pure. 
And so he's confirming that your purity, your blamelessness will be to the end. That purpose of that confirmation is that we will be blameless. The basis of their assurance is the faithfulness of God. Your assurance of your salvation has nothing to do with you. It has to do with who is faithful. God is faithful. Do you understand? It has nothing to do with you. Okay? So God is the one who called us into fellowship with Christ. He's the one who initiated this whole thing. You didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, wow, you know, I figured it out. Here I am, Jesus. You know, I mean, He's the one who called you. When he sent somebody with the gospel to you, he's the one who sent that one to, with the gospel to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's the one who initiates. He's the one who saves. He's the one who gives understanding. He called us into fellowship with him. Next week, we're going to get right into church arguments. And boy, were they having a knockdown drag out.